Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host PhD candidate Miss Devin Carroll of Tennessee Turfgrass. What an incredible episode with such an incredible person. We dive into her most recent study on women in turf and really just discuss how she went about taking the qualitative data that really dives into the journey and the experience that each of the women have in this industry and how we've sort of seen how far we've come and again seeing this transition to again more women in the industry and really taking a leadership role in their spaces um, both in golf and sports turf it has truly been awesome to be able to talk to her Uh, she is actually defending her thesis in the spring and we are so excited for her and we really are hoping for the best Uh, we know she's going to do an awesome job and we really can't thank you enough Devin for taking the time and truly for sharing your inspiration for everyone in our program and for everyone across the country in our industries. Uh, Again, best of luck, and we know you're going to kill it uh, this spring when it comes to your defense. Uh, So we hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon, and welcome to the 65th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Today we have on an incredible guest. Uh, we have the a doctoral candidate from Tennessee Turfgrass. We have Devin Carroll. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I reached out right sort of after your recent research was released uh, on women in turfgrass, and I kind of want to just sort of dive into it. You know, um, it truly was incredible, and I've talked to you a little bit about it. Uh, and sort of what I've been working with with my thesis. Um, what has it been like for you to sort of, again, sort of approach this? How did it come to, again, sort of fruition of creating the discussions, having that qualitative data, and really getting to know sort of some incredible people in our industry? Um, and how do you sort of see that having a critical uh, impact in the future? Yeah, I think it's been really transformative for me personally. And just given, you know, people like you reading the paper and then reaching out about it, I think it's definitely already had an impact on the industry. And hopefully, you know, we'll see a lot more of that as it continues. Um, But just as far as kind of how it came to be, I took a women in leadership course as an elective. And um, Dr. Carrie Stevens was teaching the class and she does work on women in agriculture and she was talking about how they were studying, you know, that there were very few women in ag as a whole and what they could do to get more women into the industry. And I'm sitting there looking at the numbers in her paper like, oh, my gosh, turf is even way below agriculture. So I approached her and said, you know, can we do a similar study in turf grass? And she was immediately like, yeah, this is a group that needs to be studied. So let's do it. And it's really great. I got to interact with 13 female leaders in the turf industry and, you know, get to know them, get to know their stories. And then try to tell their stories in a way that's, you know, meaningful to the rest of the industry. Absolutely. And again, with that, I mean, being able to do things like this, again, hearing your story, hopefully later on here in the podcast, but being able to, again, read sort of coherently among all areas, you know, and we'll get into that here in a second, but um, something that, again, your dis- the, the research really spoke to was the thing I'm working with my dissertation is school culture, you know, and working with uh, a specific high school what is it like for you, again, to sort of see the culture when it comes to the females in the industry and, again, how it's sort of on the rise? You know, the third uh, female uh, head groundskeeper in minor league baseball was just hired this three weeks ago. And, again, 
it's very small and a very small portion, obviously, of what the industry is, but it's growing. I mean, when you look at it as an exponential rate for what it was five years ago, you know, um, what was it like for you to sort of study the culture aspect of what our industry is and how do you sort of see the outlook of the culture of the turf industry moving forward after, again, your research with uh, so many incredible people? I think your focus on culture here is really important because culture is what we all need to understand to foster change, right? You can't make a change happen if you don't really understand kind of the root of where we're at. So I totally agree. I wish we had formal numbers on, you know, the amount of women in turf five, 10 years ago, but I started, um, I guess, eight years ago now. I could tell you that even in eight years, you know, there are more women. We're slowly on the rise. So I think the culture, if you will, has a long way to go, but I've definitely seen some changes and it's really become a movement now, this whole women in turf, you know, conversation, we're having conferences about it, we're having these sorts of podcasts, so you can tell that there is change and, you know, the, the culture is becoming more welcoming and receptive, you know, to diversity. Absolutely. And again, I can't say it enough for my kids, you know, I always way more trustworthy with the females that are taking my class because they're more meticulous and they actually pay attention instead of just trying to run things over and have fun with the equipment, you know, they want to learn. So again, with that sort of being, again, sort of everything that you discuss in your study, you know, when it comes to the actual like sort of outlook of how they felt in the industry, um, again, it's sort of a sad way again to, ever have anybody look at it like that and be faced with, again, sort of a stereotype. What was it like for you to, again, discuss those stereotypes with them and sort of get the feedback on how they've experienced it and how they've hopefully seen a positive change? And again, it goes right back to that culture we were just talking about. Um, what was it like for you and sort of how have you seen the stereotypes been sort of having an impact on, again, that movement of women in the industry? Yeah, it was, it was hard to listen to some of these interviews. I mean, just, I went through some of the similar situations, of course, working in academia, you know, it's not the same as the, the girls who are out on the field and out on the course, but for them, one of the hardest things was really feeling like, you know, they weren't given a chance in a lot of situations. Um, you know, people assuming that they physically couldn't do the job or, you know, just acting like, you know, you don't belong at this conference. You don't deserve to win this award. So just feeling like they weren't given the same opportunities as their male counterpart. And so I give, I give all the ladies a lot of credit. I mean, they're really strong women who try not to let that bother them and just push through. And I mean, they're killing it. They're, they're leaders in the turf industry. You just said, you know, we just picked up a third one in minor league baseball and there's two in the MLB already. So they're, they're creating their own way. And I think the paper really highlighted what the industry can do to support women, but also some things that women can kind of do on their own and internally to improve their situation. Absolutely. And it's great to hear again, sort of again, that motivation behind it to again, further their own career and understand that it's on them to again, again, be the face of our industry in years to come, you know, um, what was it about the research that you enjoyed most, you know, being able to talk to all these people, there are so many different things that you hear. And obviously you had multiple researchers on the project. What was your favorite part about it and sort of what outcome were you really pleasantly surprised to see? Sure. So from a personal perspective, it was just getting to know these 13 women on a deeper level. Um, some of them I had known a little bit from conferences and whatnot, but I really feel like my own 
support network has grown because we've had these deep discussions about problems. And now I feel like, you know, these are people I can definitely approach and rely on. And some of them I'm going to be, you know, friends with for a long time. Um, But as far as what the research found, you know, I think we really discovered some important information for recruitment. Um, Just for example, I think it's 12 of the 13 ladies, you know, did not start in turf grass as a career right out of high school. And so, you know, that might not seem like a big deal, but when you sit down and look at the numbers, what that's telling us is that, you know, what you're doing is important. We need to reach people before they're making that out of the gate decision in college. So we learned some really interesting things by, you know, really taking the time to interview these ladies thoroughly and hear about their, their journeys as a whole, both the negatives and the positives. And that that's a perfect segue into sort of my next question. It, with that, I mean, we are seeing such a increase in awareness, you know, and it's not just turf grass managers are noticing. I, there are organizations making, again, their deductive knowledge reasons that the fact that the turf grass manager is necessary and needed, you know, uh, whether it's the, the fight against artificial turf versus natural grass, you know, everything that goes into having an issue with what we do there is a knowledge that we need to find that next generation of turf grass manager, because there are going to be so many opportunities. I mean, golf with the pandemic boomed, you know, there are so many different opportunities and everything with sports turf. We're starting to see, I mean, the national championship game, that injury brought a lot of awareness to what's going on because no one was near them. And obviously with artificial turf, you're going to have those issues. So players are pushing for natural grass. And then again, what do you sort of see being through your research that way of bringing in that younger generation, you know, uh, in discussing with them? Like, again, we've heard so many different stories about how they joined the industry, whether it was from they ran into it by accident. They looked it up on a computer one day because it was like, hey, what what can I yeah. do with my life? You know, um, what was it like for you seeing all that? And even though your own personal experience outside of the research, you know, what do you think would be that next sort of step of bringing those younger generations into the industry? So you hit on it perfectly, at least in my opinion so far, it does seem like there's a little bit more opportunity in golf. Um, You know, the GCSAA is working on the first green program. They're expanding into FFA education, which I think is, you know, really going to be huge for us. I would love to see sports turf start building some of these sorts of involvement programs. Um, And we're also finding that, you know, mentorship or just talking about the industry is big. Some of the ladies up in Canada have been um, donating their time, really. They are going to high schools, reaching out to guidance counselors and saying, hey, can I come in and just give a talk on what I do? And then three or four students at the end come up and say, hey, this was awesome. And they invite them to come out and shadow them for a day at the golf course. And they always try to make it fun, you know, pet the golf course dog, ride around in the cart. But I just think that's really important. You know, a lot of students just don't know that turf's a choice. And especially in sports turf, I mean, you've got how many students playing sports? They clearly like being outside, being in that environment. You know, we just need to find innovative ways to get it in front of them that, well, this can be your job to, you know, wear shorts and be at a baseball stadium for your whole life. You just gave my like entire speech for SCMA, the presentation, me and my kid. <laughs> it was just what you stated, you know. Uh, that was perfect. I mean, 
I mean, I think that is the biggest untapped area of, again, the next generation. How many kids are in love with the sport that they're never going to go to the next level and play, you know? Right. How do I stay in that? How do, and that's what I did. I was a failed college baseball player and I was like, I want to stay in it. I obviously have sports management could be an option, What? Do I, but with that, you're going to sit, ticket sales and you got to work your way up. And it's just, you. it's the people that you know. With when ter- I think that also... That also helps us get people who really care, right? If you were a baseball player and now you're managing a field, you know the intricacies of, hey, the mound needs to be like this. And you probably care a lot about how the field looks because you want your team to be proud of it. And I just think that helps us pick up people who are really invested, which I think helps the industry as a whole, you know? Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, and that's, that's the biggest thing is the passion part about it. You know, everybody always talks about how, again, work-life balance has always been an issue for our industry and having that ability to shut off, you know what I mean? But if you have people who are passionate about it and hopefully people in a higher up position start understanding the need for the work-life balance, you'll have people that want to be there, you know, and have the time to give a little bit more if they need to, but it take away when they, again, need to be with family or something like that. And it, it's, it's all about passion, you know, and that's, that's something that I always focus on with my kids is just having them be passionate about what we do. And again, 98% of my kids are not going to go into turf. You know, I have over 200 students, so it's not like we're going to have 190 kids do it, you know, 10 kids in a class. That's amazing. You know, it's a great number to yeah, have. And like just being able to have the kids have a passion for it that are not going to do it. But then later on when they're talking to people, I did this class when I was in high school. It's they do sports surf or they do golf advocating for what we do. That leads to even more. And then again, we just have this big branch of, again, knowledge going out for our industry, you know? Um, So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on all of that. Um, Something else, and it's sort of back to your research, sorry, but something that I really appreciated about it was that with the quality of data you were taking, you were focusing on the journey and the experiences they were having, um, which I think is such an important part of what we do as a turf manager, not just looking at, again, when it comes to academia, we're looking at the quantitative data and helping us be better turf managers. What was it about this study that, again, you sort of, had a different approach and how you enjoyed it in comparison to some of your other stuff that you've done with quantitative data and focusing on a product maybe, or different things like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm training quantitative data, which for the listeners who might not know basically means numbers. Okay. So you're, you're, you're collecting numbers and you end up analyzing them statistically, whereas qualitative is more kind of social science gears. So yeah, I was meeting with, you know, Dr. Stevens to talk about, well, how are we going to do this? And we talked about maybe doing a survey, which is, can kind of go either way because it's technically numerical, but you're asking more personal questions. And she just said, you know, I really think to uncover the important information, you need to get as close to these women as possible. And so unfortunately we actually had funding. I was supposed to fly to all 13 women, meet them at their course to just really get a good look at what their day is like. Um, but due to COVID-19, you know, we did have to move that to zoom, but you know, the meetings were anywhere from a half hour to an hour and a half. So we really just got a deep, rich look at their experiences, you know, the good and the bad. And you talked about how it was, you know, the journey and the experience. I didn't want to just come flat out and say, Hey, what are the bad things in turf that we need to fix? I wanted to get a global perspective of what got you here, what's been working, what's not been working so that we can get a better look at where to go. 
Yeah, that, and that, <laughs> I love it. You're like, I don't want to just be like, what sucks, guys? You know, tell me. I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I'm very interested to hear is about your sort of journey. You know, um, for, I don't know if you ever remembered the Virginia Tech team, but you guys always kicked our ass and it was always your team that would win <laughs> CMA. And we would all be like, well, she kicked her ass again. Here we go. Here, <laughs> Another year, you know. Um, State does take turf ball very seriously. Very seriously. I feel guilty because we came in third my last year and I was like, we did not try as hard as these guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But with everything, what brought you to turf grass, you know, and what brought you to, again, one one of the best universities when it comes to turf grass management and how did you sort of find out, you know, with everything you researched, what was it for you, you know? Yeah. So I am really lucky in my turf grass journey for two reasons. Um, the first of which is how I got into it. So I played golf in high school. I just love being on the golf course outside. It's great. Uh, but my cousin is a golf course superintendent. So that's how I'm one of kind of the oddballs who got into turf, you know, straight out of high school. I was fortunate to have a direct connection with someone. You know, I always heard about his job, how much he enjoyed it. And I figured, Hey, I love the golf course. He loves his job. Sounds like a good fit. Um, And so the second reason that I think I'm really lucky is that, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania. So naturally I went to Penn state for turf school. I didn't even look anywhere else. I mean, that was the closest spot I got in-state tuition. And then almost after the fact realized, wow, this is one of the premier turf schools in the world. So um, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of thought for me about going to Penn state in hindsight. I I got really lucky on that front, but um, Yeah, Penn State was a fantastic school, and now I'm at the University of Tennessee, and I think both of them are just top-tier institutions and would really encourage any students who are listening, you know, consider both of those programs for sure. Absolutely. Uh, So we actually recorded a podcast. It's not going to be released until after the the general session. So Dr. Sorokin and I had a podcast a couple weeks, uh, last week, Uh, but we all that are on the panel for it, we actually did it before we're going to present it. So it's going to come out later. But again, I've been talking to him. We have a kid who's looking to go to Tennessee and it's crazy to me when we went up to Penn state, uh, Dr. Kaminsky had us up uh, three years, it's three years now. Freaking COVID man. Sorry. (laughs) But the, I, again, I went to Virginia tech and I I love Dr. Goley and everything that I had there. But when I was there, I was just blown away (laughs) by like, the the research facility everything with the connections having the minor league ballpark there beaver stadium everything in between you know right there on campus by where you did your research and everything with everyone what would you say again sort of end your time at uh penn state obviously you were talking about how golf course superintendent was sort of the plan What was it that brought you to sort of, again, the research and the academia and furthering your education to, again, where you're a PhD student now at Tennessee? Yeah, it was a wild ride when I started my undergrad. I mean, even though it was people with PhDs teaching me, I just never put two and two together that, you know, you could go to grad school for this. So, yeah, I I fully intended to be a golf course superintendent until my second year of school, um, I was getting pretty good grades and a couple of professors pulled me aside and said, look, I mean, you really seem like an academic student. You should think about higher level education. And so Dr. Kaminsky really took me under his wing. Um, You know, he just met with me and laid out like, look, this is the parameters of grad school. Um, We're really fortunate in the turf industry that students are typically on assistantship. 
which means your education is paid for and they actually give you a stipend to cover your living costs while you're studying in exchange for you doing 20 hours a week of work for the university. Um, so once I heard that, I was pretty sold like, hey, I can get a free master's degree in something I really love. And he brought me on as an undergrad researcher in his lab, helped me win a grant to do my own undergrad research project. He sent me out to the Crop Science Society to give a talk on my work. And I was just hooked after that, taking a project from start to finish and sharing the results was just really rewarding in a different way than, you know, what I thought it would be like to be a superintendent. Yeah, Dr. Kamitsi is a great guy. He was, I mean, he reached out and set everything up for us. And that's great that you had the opportunity to work with him. Um, what was it that, again, with everything, wanted you to go past, again, sort of your master's? You know, being able to take on the next step, you know, and, and moving to a different location. It's it's something that, again, a lot of people, when they're working in the industry, are like, well, is this an opportunity that I want to take? You know, do I want to move uh, across the country and work at this site? What was it for you that Tennessee sort of brought you in and that was somewhere where you really wanted to focus on your PhD work uh, in contrast to, again, Penn State being the amazing school it is? Well, first of all, I hate snow. So for me, it was really well, There you go. That's a good answer. <laughs> but as far as going to Tennessee, um, one of the drivers in me going to a Southern school was I did have so much experience working with cool season grass at Penn state. I just really thought it was important. You know, if I was going to get a PhD and I was going to work for one of these national companies someday, you know, I need familiarity with warm season turf grasses, warm season weeds, diseases, et cetera. And so I was really fortunate. I work for Dr. Brosnan. Now he is just a fantastic, well-connected weed scientist. And it, when he mentioned that he had funding that fit my time frame, it was just, you know, game over. And it's nice for me too. Tennessee is only about 10 hours from home. So it's in the South, but I mean, it, it's not crazy far away. So yeah, I, the stars just aligned everything. Everything there was perfect for me to say yes to it. Love how you said 10 hours. This is like a short period. Well, Texas a is like 30. So that, that is true. That is true. <laughs> I'll give you that, you know. 10 hours is somewhat manageable. <laughs> I wouldn't be driving it too often, though. Um, so with everything, again, research is such a big part of what our industry is. And we're coming up on the time frame where the research really becomes prevalent at these conferences with GIS and STMA and all these different groups. Um, what other research have you done that you really think has had an impact, again, on how we are as turf grass managers, whether it's practices, maybe it's a uh, chemical that you studied that had a big, again, sort of push towards, again, being a major uh, game changer in our industry? So there's two studies that really stick out to me. The first is one I did that was looking at phrase mowing as a means of weed control, you know, so especially in sports, you guys typically are using it, you know, to prep a field, to do some leveling, remove thatch, whatnot. Um, but we found that, you know, when you're removing that thatch and soil surface, you're actually removing weed seed with it. And so this was cool from a couple perspectives. Um, first of all, you know, you touched on this earlier with public perception. There's really a push to move away from using, you know, synthetic chemicals, which are an important part of the toolbox. But when it comes to integrated pest management, you know, we need to be researching other strategies. So that was really cool. Um, but the most interesting part was, you know, now that I'm kind of on this qualitative data train. So I did the research and found, yes, phrase mowing is effective in controlling annual bluegrass. But then I paired it with a qualitative study and I interviewed eight turf grass managers about their experiences phrase mowing. 
because what I've come to realize is sometimes as scientists, we come up with something that works, but we don't really understand how someone can put that into practice. And so what I learned from those guys, I mean, they were using it in innovative ways I hadn't thought of. And they also shared, you know, that there's some challenges to them actually being able to implement phrase mowing. And so that was a cool study. And I really hope in the future that, you know, more scientists doing quantitative work, take the time to include that, you know, qualitative aspect of things. Absolutely. And that, that just adds a whole new component to, again, understanding where your quantitative stuff comes from. It's just great to hear, you know, a lot of people don't really think about that. They're more about, Hey, we got it done. Let's get it done. You know, not let's get the story behind what this says, you know, um, which is awesome. Uh, what has been some of your favorite work, you know, being able to, again, add qualitative to your quantitative studies is really cool. Um, and some of the people, maybe some of what have been some of the cool people that you've met and be able to talk to about when it comes to your work and what you've seen through your research. Yeah. So I guess my favorite project is my dissertation. I'm a little bit biased. Um, but we're really redefining the biology of poa annua, you know, despite its name, annual bluegrass, my research really points to the fact that it's a perennial. So just like Kentucky bluegrass or tall fescue, you know, it's a perennial species that sometimes the environment causes it to die. And so this has been cool work because it's had, you know, major implications as far as management, but I have met some awesome people. Um, You might've heard of Dr. Joe Vargas up at Michigan state, he is just a pillar of the turf grass community up there. And this is something he's worked on. So, you know, I went up there and played around a golf with him and we just kind of talked shop about how do we go forward communicating this and, you know, been invited to speak on that topic at a lot of different conferences and share the work. So um, it's important work and it's really expanded my network and I'm, I'm excited to have those connections, you know, in the future. Absolutely. And I think that that's, what's really great about research and about the industry as a whole, you know, everyone's always trying to help each other. And that starts with the research that's then benefiting again, the sports turf or the golf course managers, you know, being able to have that connection and be able to work alongside other professionals is great to hear, especially again, being in such a uh, distant place, you know, being Michigan to Tennessee and stuff Um, with that. Sorry, my dog's going a little crazy, (laughs) but (laughs) with everything, um, what are your future aspirations, you know, when it comes to, again, you talked, you mentioned a large company or something along the lines like that. What is your hopes for the future? Again, you're working on your dissertation. God bless you. Cause I can't stand mine right now. I have to defend here in a couple of weeks and I'm not happy about it, but uh, what are your hopes for the future when it comes to your career? Yeah. So right now I am leaning more toward an industry position than staying in academia. Um, And what I mean by industry is working probably for one of the um, pesticide companies working ideally in, you know, pesticide development or research to bring, you know, new chemical tools to the market. But I'm still really passionate about, you know, students and women in research. So I fully intend to keep doing some projects on the side and stay involved with all the women in turf stuff moving forward. Absolutely. We actually had, I think it's Dr. Munshaw on, and I mean, he had, I don't even know how many years in academia and now he's with Mountain UC. It's, it's really interesting to see again, sort of the difference between those things. And obviously you've been a part of it for so long through your research and again, getting your doctorate and everything. Um, it's definitely really cool to see, especially because that's, that's where you guys are really needed, you know, in order to have that major impact on what we're doing and how we move forward. Um, 
especially poa i mean that's <laughs> that's probably the biggest thing you could ever do you know if you ever find the cure <laughs> you would be a billionaire that's for sure <laughs> yeah it's uh, number one most troublesome weed in turf and actually second most troublesome weed in all grass crops so really? fun fact of the day it's, there we go it's for more than turf <laughs> write write it down people learn learn every day you know <laughs> um with everything again being a part of our industry in so many different ways um what is it that you've sort of seen uh when it comes to students that you've worked with in again your role as a student yourself you know um whether that's teaching classes whether that's just being a part of uh undergraduate research what has it been like for you to sort of be a mentor in that space and again being able to research uh women in turf and again advocating for again such a great cause for what the future of our industry has what has that been like for you and uh how has that sort of impacted how you go about doing things in your work yeah, it's been really rewarding. I mean, as much as I love science and doing the research and pushing out the publications, I'll say, you know, the highlights of my career have been um, TA in classes. I was the turf bowl coach at Tennessee. Um, there's a master's student in my lab. He was an undergrad when he started. And so I've been a little bit of a mentor for him, you know, kind of shepherding him through those roles. And um, he gave his first, you know, scientific talk at the crop science meeting back in Utah. And it was like that proud mom moment of, look at him. I mean, he's killing it. And I'm just happy that I got to be there for it and help him out a little bit. So that's been really exciting. And I will say, you know, for me choosing probably an industry over academic route, that was a tough choice because I do really love the people connection. But, you know, like I said, I'm going to do whatever I can, no matter what my job is to stay connected and, you know, continue mentoring students and fostering change in the industry. And again, I mean, whoever grabs you, as lucky as they will be, obviously they'll want you to continue that. Hopefully, I mean, I mean that would be pretty much uh, a great brand deal for them, you know, in the sense <laughs> of adding more to the brand. I shouldn't say brand deal; that was terrible. I'm sorry, but being again an advocate for something that's such a critical part again moving forward in our industry so again i'm sure they'll be excited to do whatever it is you want to do with when it comes to outside of their work you know um I, with everything uh we just sort of talked about again you seeing again your graduate student who's now again moving forward just like you uh who were those mentors for you? You talked about Dr. Kaminsky for a little bit. Who were those mentors for you that, again, pushed you to go further and dream bigger than you ever really thought you were going to be doing when it came to when you first started in the, uh, at Penn State? Yeah, so there's there's two other people who come to mind. Um, first is Dr. Andy McNitt. You probably know him, uh, the sports turf guy at Penn State. He, he literally changed my life. So my first week or two at Penn State in turf class, you know, I was the only girl in the room and I'm just like, I don't know, is this really for me? Penn State has a lot of other majors. I don't know. Um, but I think it's the second week of class, you know, he asked me if I'd stay afterward and he just flat out said like, look, there's not a lot of women, but you can do this and we're here for you to make sure that you can. And so he was awesome. He helped me get a part-time job. Um, like you mentioned, Penn State's got a single-A stadium right on campus. So he hooked me up with a part-time job there just to start getting me involved, you know, with everything as soon as he could. And he also um, put out a call to Nicole Sherry at the Orioles, you know, knowing that she was a female in turf, just wanted to get me in touch with her. And he kind of nudged her and said, look, can you have her, you know, come to the stadium for a couple of days and just get to know you and see how everything was. 
So him taking that extra step to just get me involved and make sure that I felt comfortable was huge in my decision to stay in turf. And then the second person is Nicole. Um, you know, I met her early in my career. She had me stay at her house for a couple of days, was driving me into the stadium, um, you know, got to work a game. She put me on a mower to mow the field and chop the line for a game against the Red Sox. And, um, you know, she and I don't talk super frequently, but I've got her phone number and, you know, we're, we're here for each other. And I know she's someone I can count on even, you know, seven, eight years later now, however many years it's been. I mean, you two of the best in the industry, you know, right there. Um, Nicole was, uh, I don't know if you heard about our, well, actually our co-host for the show, uh, Rylan, uh, she was a big advocate for me, passed away a few months ago from brain cancer, but she was, she checked in on them all the time and it's, she's just one of the best people out there, you know, uh, and Dr. McNitt, <laughs> the goofball himself is what I like to call him. <laughs> he likes to give me crap, but he really doesn't mean it. And I, sometimes I'm kind of like, he gives tough he? Love, but and I'm, I'm like, does he mean it? No, there's no way. And then you hear something, you're like, maybe he does mean it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to expect anymore, you know? Um, but again, two great people. Um, with everything, you know, obviously you, you were talking about being a golf course superintendent. Was there any workplace experience for you when it came to um, internships or anything like that before, again, your second year starting research and focusing in on higher education? Uh, and how did that impact sort of how you did things again, sort of maybe combating some things you saw maybe when you were working on a course or something like that? Obviously, you worked at the minor league stadium and uh, <laughs> the guy was great, but there was a lot of poe on that field. Um, <laughs> he, he, he again an amazing guy he does a great job but oh <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care the poe is green <laughs> that's what that's um, the consensus in pennsylvania let me tell you it was the funniest thing i ever he's like is it green and then we're like it's full of poe po, and they're like we'll take it <laughs> <laughs> i worked at the Steelers, so somebody was picking up sod it was pretty funny sorry oh, man. but yeah so i i worked for uh medler stadium there my first year um, in the spring semester. And then I did an unofficial internship um, for the Yankees AAA team, the Scranton Wilkesboro Rail Riders. And then I did an official internship the next summer at the Country Club of Scranton. Um, even though I said I wanted to go to school to be a golf course superintendent, you know, once I was working at Medler, I just thought, okay, well now sports turf is going to be the thing. And, you know, Nicole had me up. So I was deep in the, the sports turf trenches. And then I decided, well, let me just check out golf because I want to make sure I make the right choice. And then it was funny how it worked out after that. You know, I'm really happy in a research capacity now that I have worked in both, even though they were, you know, only shorter three, four month internships, just have a little bit of experience in both. I feel like it's easier for me to connect when I do research that, you know, I have been out there, I have fixed amount, I have mowed a putting green. So it, it was, it worked out really well in the end. Absolutely. And I, that's, it's funny because when you talk to a lot of uh, people who are, uh, again, educators and researchers, they're like, I don't know what you're doing right now. You know, I never did that. You know, it's, it's always good and really interesting to hear again, sort of people who were a part of it and then got into it after, uh, again, a, a somewhat of a career in sports surf or golf and both in your case. Uh, and it's great to hear. I have a student. He is actually going to be at STMA. He, um, again, I don't know how he came to this realization, but he wants to be an engineer, but he wants to be an engineer for a company like Toro or John Deere, where he focuses wow. on 
turf equipment, you know, and he's had two summers on golf courses. He wants to double major in turf and engineering and then focus on from his experiences, again, doing internships probably through college and maybe doing some time on a golf course or again, sports field and see where the sort of the misconnects are, you know, the disconnects. I apologize. I can't talk. <laughs> where he can see improvements and then go forward and try and build stuff and innovate new things that again would help the turf manager. And I was like, I don't know how he came up with it, but I'm going to help you get there the best I can, you know? Yeah, Um, that's awesome. And it really speaks to, I mean, people, I think sometimes have this narrow view that if you're going to school for turf, a, they say things like you're going to school to learn to mow grass, which is wrong. But B, they think you you can only work at golf courses. And I mean, this is proof just how you know wide of a job perspective you can have if you have a turf degree. Absolutely. And I've always I've always told my kids, and it's just uh, to be open with them. You know, wherever you want to go in the world, you can go. Do you want to make a lot of money? There's an opportunity to find a job at a really top end golf course head groundskeepers and MLB whatnot, you can make it there. You can make the lot of money that you want to make. If you want to go live on a mountain in Switzerland with a golf course nearby and work turf and live there happy with whatever the pay is and whatnot, guess what? There's a course somewhere out there in Switzerland that you can find a place and be happy for the rest of your life, you know? And I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I always talk no, about you can go anywhere in the world and work in a turf position. You know, when it comes to fertilizer, comes to any sales reps, any companies, whatever it is, there, there is a turf position again, nearby, you know, um, it's again, something that I always like to point out to kids because some kids aren't meant for turf, you know, some kids aren't meant to work the long days. And obviously there are kids that are, and, they find out on their own sort of where in the turf industry their niche is, you know? So I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, but, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> I babble when I do that. So I oh, I can talk about this stuff all day. I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, with everything again, in your work, being able to, again, interact with people and meet different people around the country, even probably around the world, honestly, what do you think the outlook of our industry is moving forward? You know, I, again, I say it too many times, but I feel like right now we're in one of the most critical times in our industry, because again, with the forefront of natural grass playing surfaces being so important, sports surf, that is something that, again, as an industry, we can capitalize on bringing in new generations and bringing in awareness, getting people to understand. And I, I told Dr. Sorokin this, I think if there was an athlete who would notice what we do as an industry and protecting them and player safety, we could have them sort of advocate for the managers, sports turf managers, golf golfers who, again, the purse is $8 million, you know, talk about the greenskeeper and how everything uh, works, you know, that would be more, again, visible to everyone and then put, again, sort of the necessity of who we are as an industry at the forefront of so many people that, again, don't know who we exist, you know, um, when it comes to, again, being ready for a game or being ready for a tournament. Um, and I, again, I babbled, but what do you think that outlook is and how do you see it sort of coming to fruition in the next maybe decade? 
Yeah, I think you touched on two really interesting points here. And the, the first is the challenges of the industry. You know, Dr. Brosnan and I have been talking and we say it's never been more challenging to be a turf grass manager, right? So you've got, you know, the labor shortage, we've got supply chain issues, we've got pressures from the public on water use and on chemical use. So it's a really challenging time, but it depends on how you look at those challenges, right? So on one hand, it's really disappointing that we have a labor shortage, but on the other hand, that means we've got a lot of demand, right? We have a labor shortage because we have a lot of golf courses and because they're staying open and we have a lot of new stadiums that are being built and we need people to take those jobs. So it's a negative, but it's a positive. And it's, it's kind of the same thing with the supply chain thing. You know, yeah, part of it is that products are being held up because of COVID, but part of it is because we've had such a spike in golf play that you know, there's more demand, people have a bigger budget now to buy new things. Um, so even though I know it's probably really hard right now, and my heart goes out to whoever is trying to manage turf in these conditions, I, I think it's positive. I think we're seeing positive, positive growth. And then the other thing you mentioned, you know, is visibility about trying to get, you know, golfers or athletes or whoever to give us an acknowledgement. And as much as, you know, social media has its downsides, I think we are also getting a new level of exposure, you know, with um, Twitter and Instagram and social media, I think we're building a little bit more of a case for ourselves. So I think in the next 10 years, we're gonna see a little bit more acceptance and I hope a little bit more appreciation for what all the turf managers do. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, the appreciation aspect. And I, I think I brought it up to a few people, but I, over in England, the Groundsman Association, I think has done a phenomenal job of putting together uh, sort of spotlights and highlights of their members and making sure people are aware. Um, and again, I think it's interesting because people see it as hollow ground, you know, you, the soccer pitch and the cricket pitch and all the different things that they're playing on the golf courses. It's like sacred ground, you know, um, and there's sort of a disconnect when it comes to America and all that. Uh, I think there was an article with Nick McKenna on everything that, <laughs> it comes to rushing the field and having all those people running on the field 10 times a season. I'm like, yeah, that's probably not the best thing, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting again, to see how things are different and how, again, things that we could do that would benefit again, sort of sports turf managers or golf course superintendents in the United States, you know, that I think we should again, work together um, and I, I'm going to jump completely back, like way back. I'm sorry to your first, what we were talking about with the research, something that I really loved about the project with the women in turf is the fact that you brought together both sides of the industry, you know, the golf side and the sports turf side. There are very few people that are really looking at it like that. And I feel like with our program and sort of everything that we're trying to develop and help build new, uh, high school programs, the golf side and the sports side can really put forth their efforts together with an STMA and GCSAA and really develop these programs to, again, bring in the next generation of those turf grass managers. What was it for you, again, sort of seeing both sides of the fence and putting them sort of together when it came to what you saw and how you could see maybe something in the future having an impact uh, similar to what I just said, again, having both sides working together? Yeah, I totally agree with you on the need to come together. This is something I've been advocating for years. You know, it's great that GCSAA is kind of leading the charge on this FFA. Um, I guess it's called credit development or whatever. 
But I think it'd be great if we could get STMA in there too. And even when it comes to things like, you know, lobbying in Congress or, you know, raising awareness, I think a joint effort would be stronger than a loan. And when it comes to recruiting, I think I'm a perfect case study, right? So I went to Penn State 110% I'm being a golf course superintendent. And my first year of school worked on three different athletic fields. So I think if as a group, we get people interested in turf and then, you know, later down the road, they decide which split they take you know, it, it ends up helping in the end. There's going to be some people who go to school for sports and move into golf and vice versa. And so what we learned in the research, you know, I, you, you talked about earlier how, you know, I blended it and the results are from all 13 women. To me, that speaks volumes, right? So we're, we're analyzing this data and we're looking at it. And these women's journeys and feelings and experiences were so similar in both um, sectors that their data was able to be analyzed together, right? We didn't have to split it into, well, sports said this and golf said this. And I think sometimes in the industry, we're like, oh, well, there's one of those sports guys and I'm a golf guy, but you know, it's, it's all the same. And there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of opportunity that I think crosses over both sides of it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And it's, it's really been interesting to see, especially in our sort of situation, again, a high school program, uh, working with the golf course superintendents nearby who readily available have those internships and those job opportunities in the high schoolers can take over the summer to, again, working with STMA and having our kids again present down at the conference and different things like that. And working with both sides and seeing how much passion there is to really, again, bring in that next generation and really just hope for at some point to see that sort of come together and, again, make it explode, you know, into something that could be truly incredible for the industry. Um, so I, I, and I loved how you did that with the study. So I truly appreciate that. Um, something that, again, this is really for our students and they listen back to these and whatnot. Um, with your time at Penn state and Tennessee, what would you say, maybe even not even turf related, but what would be sort of the draws for those schools when it comes to a student who is interested in, again, attending those schools for turf? Um, and why would they be a great opportunity for them? Yeah, gosh, I could, I could talk about the positive of both schools for an hour. Um, big picture look, I would say Penn State, I mean, the education there. So first of all, they've got a lot of options. I mean, they have a two-year program, a four-year program, online programs. So, you know, especially for people who are in a unique situation, there's a lot of choice. And, you know, Penn State, I think, has the largest turf grass faculty group. Um, so, you know, they have a professor specifically for turf grass nutrition, specifically for turf grass soils. So at Penn State, you're not taking a general soils class that's applicable to turf. You're taking a turf grass soils class learning specifically about, you know, infields and putting greens and whatnot. So to me, the education there and the opportunities were just top notch. Um, Tennessee also has. so jealous by that, by the way, when they introduced all that, I was oh, like, yeah. what? Like, <laughs> I wanted this when I was at tech, but there was no way that was possible. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's good. The, the, the turf curriculum there, I was impressed when, um, I went up to, I guess, tour it and they gave me a list of what I was going to be taking. And I was shocked, but you know, in a good way. And Tennessee also has a really strong educational program. You know, they send their students to really good internships. The thing I see as kind of, you know, the big selling point for Tennessee is their innovation. Um, it's a little bit of a smaller faculty group, but they're on the younger side and they're a very tight knit crew and they're just open mindedness is amazing. You might have seen some tweets and stuff about Tennessee Turf Tuesday. I mean, when the pandemic hit, our group did not dwell on, oh, this is terrible. We can't do field day. Oh, this is terrible. We can't do this. I mean, 
they were on it and developed new ways to connect with people and um, can't talk about it too much yet, but they have a really exciting experiential learning opportunity in the works for some of our future students. So definitely, you know, a program to look out for in terms of, you know, them meeting needs in new ways, I think. And that's awesome. And I'm not going to pry about the cool, interesting thing that we would love to know about, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, we really wrap up the podcast on these last two. Cause again, it's really cool to hear different, again, thoughts on it and everything. Um, when you first started in the industry, uh, heading to Penn state and sort of through your career, what would be one thing that you wish you knew when you started doesn't particularly have to be make things easier, better or whatever, just something that you would have liked to know. Uh, and why would you pick that thing? I probably wish I would have known just how connected and accepting the industry can be. Um, I think, you know, with Twitter and stuff, the younger generation right now has a huge opportunity. Like everyone in the turf industry loves it and they want to see more people. So if you want an internship, I mean, DM that guy on Twitter and say, Hey, do you have one? Or if you have a question with your homework or something you see in the field, I mean, you can tweet it and people will help you. And maybe because I was a female and you just young, I just don't feel like I took advantage of the help that others are willing to offer. Um, so I just think, you know, if you have a question or you want something, just go after it and say it. And I guarantee the industry will find a way to meet that need. I should have tweeted my homework. Jeez. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I didn't know that, you know, that's why I was struggling all those years, <laughs> freaking Twitter. <laughs> um, and the last thing that we really, we really like to get into is the best words of advice you could give again, a student who's considering looking at the possibility of again, pursuing a career in the industry. Again, having that connection with all those people is great. Um, and definitely a big draw to what we do as turf grass managers, but what would be your best words of advice when approaching, uh, again, the opportunity? Um, a little bit cliche, but I would say follow your gut. You know, I've had a couple gut instincts and they've always proven right. So if you think turf is for you, especially for the ladies out there, you know, just get after it and do it. Don't worry about what someone else might say. You know, if you feel like that's what you want to do, then do it. And on the flip side of that, at least in my opinion, you know, walking away from an unhealthy situation is not quitting. So, you know, if you end up in a situation that's not what you want, walk away from it and find out what you do want, because especially in the turf industry, there's just opportunities abound. So we'll find the right thing for you. Are you going to be at any future events? Are you going down to STMA or GIS? Unfortunately, not this year. My defense is coming up here in a couple of weeks like you. Ooh. So I've uh, put a little bit of a hiatus on travel, but. Uh, I, unfortunately, <laughs> that's something that sounds pretty good right about now for that. <laughs> Um, well, I want to say thank you for taking the time. Uh, and I hope your defense goes great. Cause again, I understand, unfortunately, I understand what you're going through. <laughs> not as intense. I'm going to be honest with you with the, with the degree I'm getting it is definitely not as intense or intensive as again, what you've been working on. I do want to say thank you for everything you've done. Uh, and for taking the time to talk today. Again, our, our kids are going to love it. And we really can't say thank you enough for everything. Well, and I appreciate you having me. It's it's so important, I think, to share this paper and share this information on recruiting. And I'm so happy to do it whenever someone gives me a chance. Absolutely. Again, thanks.